Greetings and welcome to Inside the Master's Studio, a behind-the-screens look into the art of GMing. Today we're joined by Frankie Garza. Hello! I'd like to start from the very beginning. When did you first get involved with tabletop RPGs? Probably, honestly, around college. Like, before college, I had had flirtations with them. I had looked at books, and I think I even owned a Dungeons & Dragons board game that came with, like, character sheets, but I don't think I ever actually played it. I just had it around, or, or I didn't play it properly. It wasn't until college when I met people who also were into uh, role-playing games. What was the very first game you played? I think it was 4th edition. I think it was... Yeah, it was 4th edition. I played a bard, and I think this is when the bard was barely coming out. Like, 4th edition itself hadn't come out yet. And uh, I played a dwarf bard that had an instrument bigger than himself. What kind of instrument was this? Uh, a contrabass, a big contrabass. How long did you play in this game? I think this game only had like two sessions, and after that, this DM tried to do a Legend of Zelda hack that only had one session, and then after that, we moved into Mutants and Masterminds for like five sessions. I only had like small sessions in college, uh, never anything truly lasting, no campaign that ever got to the end. Can you name the longest-running game that you've participated in as a player? I'm trying to think. It was probably that Mutants and Masterminds campaign where I had actually two characters because the first one died. How did you react when your first character died? I was excited, actually. He could create uh, his body into smoke. So I think I tried to asphyxiate the main villain, and then the DM asked me to roll some dice, and then I died. Did he give a more detailed description? He actually took me out of the room, and we went to another room, and then he asked me a couple questions. I'm trying to remember exactly what happened. He asked me a couple questions, and I think he was giving me the choice to back down, but I didn't, because I didn't feel like that's what the character would do. So, I ended up dead. Did that experience affect how you treat player death when you are the GM? I think a little bit. In most systems, I treat player death how the system treats it. So, for example, on Mask, I really like that player death goes... The agency goes to the player. Because it says... uh, the thing that happens is that the move says this character is out of the scene. And I've had players interpret that as, as uh, oh, they're knocked out. Oh, they're passed out. But I've had one player who was like, oh, okay, my character is made out of gas and it's being attacked by this giant snake, so now they're dead. Or, like, their body dissipates. Of course, it was a super. it's a superhero game, so they came back four uh, sessions later, but... Still, no one else knew it except that player and myself, and it was a big impact. So, I understand you're currently running this Masks game. When did you get started playing that? I think I did... 
I I played it as a player once about less than a year ago. I want to say like six months ago. And then I ran a one-shot maybe like a month after that. And then like two months ago, I decided to... I wanted to do a one-shot that I could... That wouldn't be a one-shot, but it wouldn't have to matter which players I got. Because we have a group of, of people that wanted to play, but... You know, not everyone can make it every week. So I figured I would make a series of one-shots that take place in a superhero school. So it doesn't matter if different players come in because it's a superhero school. It's full of uh, characters. And that was two months ago, and we've had 17 sessions since. And it's been pretty great and pretty crazy. Is this the first game that you have GM'd for? No. It's the one I've enjoyed GMing the most. I've GMed a bunch of games. It's probably the one with the most sessions also. Uh, I've DMed mostly one-shots. I DM some uh, Monster Hearts for, I want to say like a month before all the players ended up killing themselves or killing each other or having the bad guys kill them. It was... Everyone died in the course of, like, ten minutes at the end of one of those games. How would you say Running Masks compares to running the other games that you've played? Masks, as long as you have a respect for the fiction that you're creating and a respect for the characters, Mask runs itself. All you have to do is be there and listen to your players, follow the narrative they're giving, and then bring it back to them. So if they they seem interested in something, use that, and then if they feel... Because it's uh, Powered by the Apocalypse setting, so I never roll dice. All I do is I tell them what their dice rolls do. So if they fail a roll, I can twist it against them, or if they succeed a roll, I can see what it's interesting them and elevate that. Uh, you said... It's been running for about two months, and you've had 17 sessions. Yeah. How do you decide when to hold a session? I kind of treat it, and this might sound bad, I treat it like work, but like work that I enjoy. It's been really fulfilling for me. So I put up a poll, usually around Wednesday or Thursday, and I say, what times is everyone available? And then I make four sessions. It used to, I started with one, then two, then three, and now I'm doing four sessions a week on the weekends, Friday to Sunday. I separate them depending on people's availability, and I also try not to double book me so that I have at least an hour or two to eat something, take a, a break from my boys, and continue. And you have 18 players currently? Yes, I believe now we're up to 19, because someone joined recently, so I think we're 19 and like 22, 23 characters. How did all these people get involved with your game? Honestly, it started thanks to Friends at the Table, the actual play uh, podcast, because most of us were part of a fan discord. So I would run games there. Uh, I ran Blades in the Dark there, I ran Monster Hearts there, 
and I ran the first one shot for for mass there, and then the people just uh, started with four, and then more people were interested, and then more people were interested, and then we ended up having to make a whole server because we were clogging the the friends at the table server, and then friends invited friends, and what started with five players now it's eighteen. What kind of weekly bookkeeping do you have to do in order to keep storylines straight? I have a list of notes that I work uh, throughout the week that uh, basically is a combination of recaps that thankfully we start recording the from the fifth session on. We've recorded all of them just for us so we can keep a track of them. So I have recaps of each session and I have my short-term goals and my long-term goals. And I've kind of had short-term and long-term from the beginning of the game, and some of those have changed. But every time a new character comes in, I give them a short-term goal and a long-term goal. How many characters have died in this game so far? I believe only the one, and then they came back four issues later. We had four games of follow uh, this past weekend that were set in the same universe. If you count those, then more more characters, about five or six more characters. But they were either alternate universe versions of, of our main characters or characters from the past or from the future that we hadn't really met or that are still alive now. Those are the things you can do when you're playing superhero uh, games. You can stick to the genre and move around the tropes. Between this and Mutants and Masterminds, do you prefer a superhero setting for role-playing? I didn't used to think I did, but I think I do because as a GM, I want to have a setting that I feel I can tell stories in. I have no problem playing a fantasy setting. But I don't think I have any story to tell. I don't think I have a nar- Maybe it's the narrative chops. Maybe it's the knowledge with the fantasy uh, genre for me to feel like I'm telling fun and interesting and original stories. Whereas if it's something I'm more familiar with, like the superhero setting, I know where to pick from. I know what tropes to do. I know what to switch, what to flip. It feels like I understand that rhythm, and that I I think that's why I prefer doing it. Is there a certain superhero trope that you enjoy more than others? I think I prefer the it's an ordinary day until the bad guy crashes in. So, for example, one of the issues, we, we call them issues uh, between us, the players, uh, one of the sessions, one of the issues... They went to a mall and they had like a cool mall day because they're teenagers, you know. And some went to the food court and some went to the arcade and some went shopping. And then a guy controlling crabs paralyzed all the civilians and started stealing their money. So that that's probably my favorite trope. It's just a fun, happy day until something crazy happens. And are there any specific superhero tropes that you are trying to avoid? Yeah, a lot. Superhero genre has a lot of problems when it comes to gender and when it comes to race. And 
a lot of those I'm I'm honestly I feel pretty happy that we've avoided stuff like uh, female characters dying just to the service of male characters stuff like uh, uh, mystic pregnancies or uh, over sexualization of characters for no particular reason. Uh, I think the group we have is actually very good at that. And uh, if anyone starts being... Uh, not, no, no one has been like that, but if anything close to that happens, people are like, hey, how about we do something else? We're, we're all on board on having a veto over our stories. And being able to say, you know what, this makes me uncomfortable, let's skip this. And I think that has helped us from falling into any possible bad tropes. When you're preparing for one of the issues, how do you set up the story arc for that issue? Originally, I detailed it very... Like I would put, okay, this is the one where they're going to get kidnapped and sent to space, and then this is going to happen, and then this is going to happen, this is going to happen. And then by issue four, I realized that wasn't working, because my players would do something else or want to do something else. And then I realized that the best thing was just to put them in a situation, like the mall, and be like, okay, you're in this in this mall situation. Tell me about it. And have them have a couple of uh, character scenes between them, and then throw something at them. In this case, a supervillain. Throw a supervillain at them and see how they react. Have them fight the supervillain and then resolve the conflict. And then let's do a couple more scenes. And then maybe we go back to school and we do a couple more scenes. And then if I need to do any big plot uh, stuff, I can do those there at the end with the relevant characters or with everyone. But that way... I don't think it's become formulaic because I've been able to do a lot of crazy things. I did uh, kind of like a Power Rangers one where they started uh, playing baseball and then a giant alien came in looking for one of them because she was the exiled princess of a planet. Uh, this was one of the PCs. So her sister came in trying to kill her and then another alien came in and they fought them and then the alien became giant and then one of the professors told the students quick jump into this robot I built and then they had a Power Rangers fight and I feel like as long as I keep the concept simple like okay this is where you guys start this is the complicated thing let's see what happens I feel that way it works best and what kind of bookkeeping do you do immediately after a session has ended? Uh, I write down any important NPCs that uh, the players may have created or that I may have created. I write down any uh, character beats. I write down anything that the players seem interested in. Even if, if it was just a small thing, even if it's just a detail or an offhanded line. For example, uh, we have a prom issue where all the characters went to prom. And that was crazy, because that was four sessions that all technically happened at the same time. And that was really interesting. But one of the couples of two player characters, uh, they got kidnapped by uh, by one of their uh, like old family friends to go help them. 
And then the other one, the one that wasn't didn't have connection to the person that who kidnapped them, created light clones of them so that they could run away. I took that and I saw how they consider that interesting. And sessions later, I introduced those light clones again that they had gained sentience and now were space pirates. Do you think that's the biggest curveball you've thrown to your group? I, I think, hmm, I'm trying to think, because that was certainly a funny one, but I think the biggest curveball I threw might be, it's either during the follow game where we saw the background of, uh, of their headmaster and like what his original plan was. Or the the end of volume one, because uh, I said we were going to have a, a volume finale and uh, we were going to have super internships. And uh, we had uh, four, four sessions with uh, each player's interning uh, under a famous hero. At the end of each of those sessions, I had them go back to school and then I described them getting memories. Memories they didn't understand. Memories that didn't fit. And I described three or four alternate versions of themselves. And then after that, I explained that now their characters were lost into time and space. And they would be exploring these alternate worlds until they could find their way back home. And I know a lot of my players were excited and some of them were very emotional because of the stuff I described, their characters going into maybe villainous directions or uh, their characters being happy despite their powers or being without powers. And I think that's probably the biggest one. Did you have to have some time with the group to decompress and deal with those feelings? Yes. I think after care... uh, in a session, just like talking about it, making sure everyone's okay is super important. And uh, after every session, I try to leave some window of time so we can talk about oh, all the stuff that's that's happened. Some of my players have cried and or have gotten very emotional. And it's always important to, to talk about, hey, is everything okay? Uh, was that too much? Uh... Are you happy with this? Are you okay with this? I think it's very fun to get into a point where you're very emotionally invested in your characters. But also it's worth remembering that there's people playing them. That this is not just acting. That you tend to get invested in your own characters. And that there's someone behind the the username. Have you retconned stories after one of these sessions? Yes. I had to retcon a retcon and a, of a retcon all at the same time. We had two characters who... One... Oh, well, this is probably a bigger twist I didn't think of. One of them is destined to end the world. And the other one came from the future to stop it. And uh, at one point, they... They were alone together, and the one that came to stop the other one tried to stab her with her sword, 
And I originally said, let me try to remember. I think she said that she she rolled to to protect herself. I think, and I think the roll failed. But I said that someone interrupted. No, yeah, I said that another character interrupted and got in between the blade. And then we retconned that so that the character wouldn't be dead. And then we retconned again and said, no, you know what? That didn't make sense. What happened is that they, the, that her, uh, that she did get stabbed, but she didn't die. So that was what we ended up when after two or three retcons. And was it the player of the character who got stabbed that wanted the change, or was it other people? It was the player the, uh, of the character that got stabbed, yeah. She felt that it hadn't been enough repercussion to, to the actions. And I'm always willing to, to let the player dictate their own character. Because I can mess with them, and I can mess with the flow of the story and the things that happen to them. But at the end of the day, they still have to want to play that character. If they don't want to play that character, then it doesn't matter what I do, because that character is basically dead. So, if a player tells me, hey, I don't like the way this story is going, then I'll do my best to make sure that story goes in a different way. Was there any pushback from the other players? Not really. Everyone seems to be very understanding because we're all listening to these sessions. uh, Or most of us are listening to these sessions since we started recording them. Everyone seems to understand and get that we all just want to tell a really good story together. And everyone has domain over their own character. What happens to other character is a conversation. What about the biggest curveball that the players have thrown to you? Ooh, uh, I think those light clones were, were a good curveball. The stabbing was a good curveball. Oh, I know. During superhero internships, one of the characters injured a bank robber. I think it was a, no, a jewelry robber. And uh, the superhero told her, hey, you can't do that. You can't hurt people like that. Maybe you're not meant to be a hero. Maybe you're meant for more violence. And I was expecting her to go like, oh no, I want to be a hero. And she went like, yeah, I could do violence. I could be really good at violence. Oh yeah, I could be a soldier. I could be a killer. And then I'm like, okay, that's not what I meant, but this is super interesting, this this direction that this character is going. And by the way, this character is a, a personification of a rainbow that uh, some people, some scientists created to sell on Etsy because my players are awesome and they come up with the best concepts. I know it's hard to pick a favorite, but if you had to, which character is your favorite? I'm I'm gonna go for the easy answer and say one of the NPCs I created. It's either Dave the Duck or Nido. Nido is the school principal, and I think Nido is my favorite based on the follow games we did uh, with Nido's origin and his uh, one of his possible endings. But 
I don't get to play Neo on a day-to-day basis because they're the headmaster and they're busy. Uh, Dave the Duck is the counselor of these teenagers, and I get to play him, or I, I shoehorn him in, or not, that's not true. I get to play him at least once per session because players want to have a scene with him. They just suffer through uh, some traumatic stress, or a villain, or a class went badly, and then they want to talk to their counselor. So I bring out Dave the Duck, and since Dave the Duck is based on uh, my good friend Dave, who's Scottish, I bring out my horrible Scottish accent, and I pretend to be this anthropomorphic duck who is the school counselor. Any relation to Howard? No, not an alien. Dave used to be a doctor of superheroics, and then they got a psychiatric degree, but then they got turned into a human-sized duck. So they're not they're not an anthropomorphic duck. I should change that. I should clarify that. They don't they're not a humanized duck. They're a duck who's the size of a normal human. Any chance we can hear from the duck? Yeah, let me see if I can get the duck out. I beg your pardon? The moon rules? How are you doing today? Well, I gotta tell ya. I want to be a superhero, but sometimes part of me just feels like being a supervillain. No, no. The moon. See, what you gotta do here, lad, is uh, you have to follow your heart. If a part of you truly believes that you will be a supervillain, then what you need to do is talk about it. Talk to me about it. Talk to Dave about it. And maybe maybe we can talk about why you feel that way. And maybe if, if there's no other option, we can talk about ways of suppressing that. You don't want to hurt people, do you? Which student would you say you've had the biggest effect on? Ah, that's, that's my, good, my, my good student and, uh, and a really good boy, Reed. Cambium. When he started, he was this giant green, thorny monster plant. Uh, but in reality, he's he's just a sweet boy trapped inside of them. And after a lot of discussions, we this well, he decided. I suggested, and he decided that maybe doing a treatment to try to regress his powers would be best. So now he no longer looks like a giant monster. He looks like a regular teenage boy plus a couple of green veins. And his powers have gone down. But uh, he still can control a little bit of plants here and there. So Frankie, it sounds like this is (laughs) partly inspired by X-Men. But is this a completely homebrewed universe? This is a completely homebrewed universe. Uh, X-Men, especially 80s X-Men and then X-Men Academy X were huge inspirations. The manga and anime, My Hero Academia also. But when I started the, the games, they were... 
I just had a couple of ideas. I knew about Needle, and I knew about a couple of other professors I wanted in there. But most most of the world building happened during the sessions. A player would say something or would ask me a question, and I would come up with the answer, and then I would write it down. I was like, they would be like, oh, well, how much does the school cost? Uh, how, how are we in? And I was like, oh, no, the government subsidized the school. And then I had to go find a reason in the plot later on how and why the government is paying for this giant school that it's in Needle, New York, named after the headmaster, and it's a whole town that's just a superhero campus. And stuff, all this stuff like that came out from play. Or like Dave the Duck. Dave the Duck happened because my friend Dave was listening in chat and, uh, Someone mentioned, like, oh, Dave should be a hero. And I was like, yeah, well, you have the school counselor, Dave the Duck. And that became one of my favorite characters later on. But all the world building has really happened based on something the players have said or something I have said. But now it feels like it's some complete and unique universe. Which came first, the setting or wanting to play a game in masks? Wanting to play a game of Mask. I had run a game of Mask before and I had fun, but my favorite superhero, not trope, because we talk about that, but my favorite superhero genre is teenagers going to school and learning to control their powers. Preferably in a super school setting. Uh, that idea came up and it, I realized it would be really easy for me to switch in players because I figured... People would play this once, and then they'd be busy, and maybe they wouldn't play for three weeks, and then they'd play again, but we have different players come in. I never honestly expected that I would have an average of 15 players a week, plus a couple more that miss a week or don't miss a week, uh, saying like, hey, I want to play. Like, I never thought I would have to organize uh, groups with like four sessions with five players each every week. So it's it's really been a blessing, but I don't know. I'm I'm very happy that this happened. It made me really excited to DM again. I've always enjoyed it, but I've never felt like I was telling good stories before. Do you have any rules set up for your universe? What type of rules? If somebody comes to you with an idea for a character, do they have to pass certain, okay, well, blank doesn't exist in this universe, etc.? No, yeah. I My idea for the universe was so that any any character that a player could want to create could happen. So... I was like, hey, you want a character that's all about magic? Great, magic exists. Hey, you want aliens? We have like three or four different players playing different aliens? That's fine. They, they can all exist here. Hey, you want characters that don't have any, any powers, but yet they're still allowed in the school? Yes, I can find the reason why that would happen. And uh, you want to play a character that has a backstory? Uh, okay, well, tell me their backstory. I'm sure I can fit in somewhere or another in this world. I I think a good DM can say yes, and then it still makes sense to the world. 
So with having different groups playing at different times, do you have any cliques that have formed within the school? Yes, uh, a couple. A couple couples have formed. A couple cliques, because the way I set it up, I said there were dormitories. And I kind of did as an offhand remark. And immediately some people were like, oh, no, I'm in this group. And this is where we live. And I'm like, okay, perfect. And this is your your faculty mentor. I And I gave, gave everyone that had dormitory faculty members. And then there's one called Celebrity Horse Hell. That's the name they gave themselves. Which includes uh, uh, a girl with no powers, but she has acrobatics. Imagine if uh, Robin rode a horse. So she's an acrobat, but she also has a horse that does acrobatics. And then we have uh, Bucephalus, who is, or Boo Boo, as their friends call them, who is. Uh, a teenager who can produce goo horses, horses made out of goo that they can control. And then the celebrity part in Celebrity Horse Hell is a viral YouTube star named Starlight who became famous by making YouTube videos of herself being a superhero. Have you ever forced any of the players to play with different players? Just to shake it up a little? No, yes. Uh, I think like that group formed and they haven't played all of them together since it formed. Mostly because of uh, of time zones. Uh, we're playing over Discord and we're playing with people from Australia, from Scotland, from all over the world. So time zones sometimes don't align. I... Keep in mind the stories the characters have, and and if I see a story that makes sense and I want to push it, I put those characters together, but the first thing that comes is availability, because sometimes people can't make it. So I think we've been able to have a good mix of characters. Some people like playing with each other, some people like mixing it up. I think it's worked out pretty, pretty well. How long do the sessions typically last? They last anywhere from an hour and a half to... Four hours was the longest one, but that was a game of follow. A non-game of follow has lasted three hours, I want to say. But I always check before we start. I ask if anyone has a heart out. And then based on that, the main story takes like an hour or an hour and a half. And then after that, if players still want to keep playing, I start doing asking them about scenes they would like to do between each other or between NPCs, because there's also student NPCs and professors, and uh, that can last like an extra hour or maybe a little bit more, depending. I always try to keep the temperature of the room, make sure everyone's enjoying themselves. The I try to keep the groups to four or five people. I once have a seven-person group because a lot of people had to drop out out of other games for time reasons, and then they joined the last game that was already full, so it ended up being seven people. But I think it worked out. They had uh, they had a class about emergency situations in which they all did horribly. They There were civilian dolls that they didn't protect at all. 
and that was like an hour, uh, an hour and a half, and then we spent another hour with them complaining to each other about the professor, complaining to the counselor, talking to each other, uh, flirting with each other, having all these teenage moments, you know? If everyone was available, would you want to go longer than three or four hours? Unless I had a particular story in mind and a particular reason for it to be a longer story, I think two to three hours is perfect. It's more than enough time. If I came up with a crazy idea that, and for some reason all my 18 players could make it at the same time, I'd be like, okay, guys, we're running six hours because I have this crazy thing prepared. But one, I think that would be too much on my players. And maybe it wouldn't be that fun. I have no problem keeping it too short, concise. With all the scenes I do and, and the stories I try to keep, and with the games themselves, I try to keep to the principle, arrive late, leave early. Let's arrive late in the scene when things already started. We don't have to introduce the characters in every scene. And then, then let's leave early. Then let's leave before, right when the things get interesting. Okay, cool. Let's leave. We don't have to stick around for the aftermath. Sometimes we do. Sometimes the aftermath's interesting, but try to keep the game going. I pay a lot of attention to time in the game because I don't want to waste anyone's time. The worst thing that could happen to me is if a player said, you know what? I don't want to play anymore. This is taking too long and it's not fun. So I try to do anything in my power to make it fun. Have you had any players record themselves having a scene outside of the normal session? They have talked about it, and I was reluctant a little bit at the beginning, but now I'm very open to it. It hasn't happened. What I have had is... We have a bunch of people, and a lot of them are very talented, and they have drawn really cool fan art of the characters, and some of them have, drawn, have written fan fiction. And I tell them that as long as the fan fiction is only about their characters, or if they want to write an NPC, as long as it's nothing too crazy, it's canon. It happened. So we've had a lot of, of those things going around. They asked it first, and I wasn't sure, and I said, no, you know what, yeah. Go ahead and make a scene if, if you want to. Because that means they care about the game. Like, how many games have you been like, no, you know what, I need to do more stuff with this character. For me, that hasn't happened enough. So if one of my players feels like they they love this character so much they want to do more with it, I'm, I want to encourage them. If this was made into an animated show... What would you like the theme song to be? Something with a happy beat, but sad lyrics. Uh, I can't think of anything at the top of my head. I would probably want to commission something from someone. Uh, but yeah, something that if you're not paying attention, you would like swing your hips and move your head and clap along. But the song's lyrics said something like, and I'm all alone and no one understands me and it's so sad and all my friends keep leaving me because I feel like the broodiness of teenagers is so fun to play. Like, 
I love fake teenagers. This idealized version we have of, of teenagers when they're moody, but they're also smart, but they're also interesting that I don't remember being as a teenager, but we see it in fiction all the time. And I think that's super interesting and super fun to play with. CW teenagers? Yeah, CW teenagers. Some of those are better than others, but yeah, CW teenagers. Also like comic book teenagers. Anime teenagers. What scene in this game would you say has affected you the most? I feel like I'm cheating by using scenes from Follow that we played last week, but it's so fresh in my memory and we they were this it was the same group and it was the same characters. Uh so the scene where Nido the headmaster um I was going to say spoilers, but <laughs> this is not a podcast, so it doesn't matter. I can spoil it to you. When you, uh, the headmaster gives a uh, reader who they're in love with and who have been, has been the, with them uh, their, most of their adult life, uh, when he gives her his plan on how in the future he's going to have a school and he's going to create, uh, have it so that there's so many heroes, there's no villains. And that's really nice. And then he's like, and the way we're going to do it is because you have tele- uh, you have uh, uh, telepathy, I have telekinesis. And we're going to implant chips inside of the people who run our government so that you can give them instructions. And they don't even realize that they're the ones that they're not the ones in control and you're going to make it so they give us all this money and you're going to make it so that we basically run the United States and we take care of everything. And the player who was playing Reader, Ryan, the way they played Reader, super monotone, but like with a trembling, realizing how big this thing that the person they were closest to was asking them to do and then saying yes, that scene really shook me. And I was like, if once I said it, because I have been thinking about this since someone in the first session asked me how does the school have money, the moment I said it, I felt like a huge weight had come out of me because I was like, this is what the, this, this is the origins of our universe and I finally got to say them. How did the rest of the group react? Uh, there was a lot of crying. Or like people people would make like a crying moan and then they would mute themselves on Discord. And uh, a lot of people going crazy in chat. And then people, when they listened to it later, I kept telling people who had messaged like, oh, you need to listen to the third follow game. And they were like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And then when they listened to it, they're like, ah, Frankie, what, what did you do? Oh, my God. That scene. I'm very proud of those games as a whole. But that scene, that felt like, okay, this is it. This is the world. This explains. There's no more unanswered questions about the world now. But now all the students are trapped in uh, outside of time and space. So I can start messing with them again. So did the students learn the origins or was this a self-contained scene no this was a self-contained scene that only the players know uh 
And I didn't have a problem letting the players know something that the characters didn't know. Because one, I think the players are good enough players that they can separate what their characters know and what they know. But also because, like I said, I feel the first volume dealt a lot with the school. And I feel the, the second volume is going to deal more outside of it and outside of their main world. So I didn't feel bad in telling them this. I didn't feel like I was ruining anything. I felt like I was expanding the, the world. Do you have an end in mind for this universe? I think I do. I think I have a couple ends. I changed my mind. I want to see what the players uh, what the players do. I'm split between two ends right now. One would be like the normal end, the typical end, and then the other one would be the weird end. And I'm leaning towards the weird end. If you could have one thing from your game's universe, what would it be? Hmm... I would really like, despite all the implications that would mean that two people control the government and the world, I would really like there to be a needle institute in, in, in our world, even if I didn't have powers. The idea that there was a school for superheroes in the same country that I'm in would make me so happy, and I would like it so much, so yeah. Maybe it's not the smartest choice, but if Needle Institute for Superheroics was a real thing, that would be really cool. What would your ideal powers be? Ooh. I don't think I don't think I don't think you should get to choose ideal powers. I think you should have powers that are difficult but cool. So, uh, I am a very hairy person. I have a long beard and I have hair all over my body and I've dealt with it. Uh, I've, I've gone to a lot of gender issues, but as a kid, and even to this day, I always thought it'd be funny if you know how Colossus can turn his whole body into metal. I always thought it'd be funny if my superhero power would be to turn my hair into metal. And uh, I even created a uh, an NPC that I don't use much in the in the campaign. That's kind of based on that called Chainmail. That would be pretty useful for me. <laughs> yeah, because I I think that would be really interesting in like hand to hand situations, or maybe you could pluck a hair and throw it like a dagger. I think the best superhero stories that are out there are stories that take something common that you deal with every day and they multiply it. So the feeling of growing up and and your body changing and not being comfortable with it, not being sure what to do with it, not being sure who you are, being multiplied like, oh yeah, not only am I covered in hair, but it turns into metal too. That's super interesting to me. When a player comes to you with an idea for a character, do you require them to have weaknesses as well? No, not necessarily, because I think I'm clever enough to make a weakness for them. 
especially one that they don't expect. If a player already has a weakness in mind, that's great. Because that means that, okay, cool, you already know like what your weakness is, and maybe I'll use it, or maybe I'll just tease you with it because you know it's there and not really hit you with it. But if a player doesn't have a weakness in mind for their character, that's when I go, okay, good, let's, let's see what I can do. Maybe it's an emotional weakness, maybe it's a power weakness, maybe the character's too cocky. They're super strong, super fast, they're great, but maybe they're too cocky and they don't realize and they hurt someone they love. Or something like that. A weakness doesn't have to be just like, oh, don't hit me in the glowing spot because then I'll, I'll die, or don't touch me with the magic rock because all my powers go away. A weakness can be... Your character's too focused, so you haven't talked to your family in a while. You haven't been with your friends in a while. You're too inside this. Are you Are you even your character's civilian name anymore, or are you just a hero? Is the civilian person gone? I always think it's a challenge to find a good weakness that the player will feel affected by it. Do you like exploring a hero's strength more or exploring a hero's flaws more? I think the flaws. The strength is why you come to the movie. The flaws are why you stay. Like, the, the strength is what brings us in and why we, we want to go see superheroes. For me personally, the flaws is why I want to keep seeing these stories. Because you can have a million strengths, but the flaws is what... I wouldn't be able... I can't relate to someone that has no flaws. Like, no flaws whatsoever. No emotional flaws. If someone was super well-adjusted, and super fast, and super strong, and invulnerable, I... Why, why do I care? Show me... They can be super fast, super strong, and vulnerable, but then... They, they're super nervous also. And I'm like, oh, I'm nervous too. Or they stutter. I'm like, oh, I've had speech impediment problems too. So I think maybe I'm going to touch a can of worms here for a second. But I think that's why I've always been more interested in Marvel superheroes than DC superheroes. I know it's not all of them, but I always felt DC superheroes felt like gods. Where Marvel superheroes felt like me and my friends got some powers. And do you have a favorite superhero? There's a couple I really like. But probably Magneto. Who, if you can tell by the name, was the slight inspiration for Nido. Magneto from the X-Men can be... He is my favorite superhero when written properly. I feel not a lot of writers write him properly. Magneto's whole deal is he wants the best for mutants. But when people equate that to destroy the world, I feel that that becomes a problem. Because especially in the 80s with Chris Claremont, Magneto had no problem dealing with humans as long as he was able to protect mutants. The only reason he went bad is because he was uh, the headmaster of the, Char uh, the Xavier Institute, and then one student died and the other one ran away, 
and then he felt he couldn't protect them anymore, so he went evil to try to protect them. So I feel Magneto's so interesting, and he is probably my favorite superhero. Even though he's a villain a lot of the time. We're going to start getting wrapped up, but before we do, I'm going to ask you some questions from the Pivo questionnaire, pioneered by Bernal Pivo. Cool. What is your favorite word? Tea. The drink? Yes, because I realized that it's a trope that I have created, that in most of my games, characters, if there's an emotional scene, will start drinking tea. I don't know how it started, but I think it just says a lot. If I describe a scene saying, okay, your character and my character are sitting drinking tea, I feel that implies a lot. And we can talk about what type of tea and how close are they. Uh, are they drinking it? Are they having fun? Or are they not? I feel it, it encapsulates a whole scene. What is your least favorite word? Probably tree, because I have an accent and I have problem pronouncing and differentiating between three, the number, and tree, the plant. And sometimes when I'm not paying attention, I'll say tree when I mean tree. And it, it stumbles me a lot. It's something I always have to deal with, but that's probably my least favorite word. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? When I'm running a game and I see that my players react strongly to something, either the chat is going crazy or people are having to mute themselves because they can't control their voice, that that feels to me like, oh, I got them now. This is why I do this. And then when I'm consuming a piece of media that feels like it has this incredible world with incredible possibilities, I'm like, oh... Oh, I want to do something about this. I want to write a game with this, or I want to make a character for a game with this. I I want to live in that world. So, like, a great and interesting world, or players reacting to, to something I've done. What turns you off? Disinterest. And I haven't had this really with my players, but just in general, if I'm talking to someone, if I'm dealing with someone, and I can tell they don't care, and they'd rather not be here, then I don't want to deal with them. I don't want to be in that conversation, because I, it just, I don't want to deal with it. And then it happens in media sometimes when you feel someone phones in a performance, or when something is that it's written very haphazardly or very lazily, I don't care anymore. Because they didn't care. It hasn't happened in this game, but has it happened at the gaming table before for you? Yeah, I think it has happened. Physically, it has happened. I've had people check out, and maybe that's why I don't like running stories that I don't feel like I have uh, a lot to say, like fantasy stories. Because uh, I've had people check that, and I was like, well, maybe maybe the story I'm telling is too generic, and I don't have a better story to tell, so maybe I shouldn't run Dungeons & Dragons or Dungeon World. Maybe I should run something that I think about a lot during the day, and that I feel I have a story to tell. What is your favorite curse word to hear from your players? Fuck. 
or them going Frankie, which is not a curse word, but it feels like it sometimes when they say it, but definitely them going, ah, fuck, is, it's really fulfilling. What was the last thing you did that made them? I think it was the end of the last follow game, because we just had those. The character Nido passed away. They died being one of the students who had turned evil. I always try to describe the games like we're reading a comic book, so I say, the panel shows Nido holding Seans as they're both falling down into the ground, and then we zoom in on Nido's face, and then on his eyes, and then we have a blank page, and then we see Reader who Nido loved and who passed away because Sans attacked her and she's wearing a nice dress and she's smiling. And then we see Nido and he's smiling wearing a nice suit. And then we see Sans, but not as a super villain, but as a superhero. Back when she was Nido's student and Nido says, I was a bad teacher, you were a good student. That was the end of that issue. And a lot of people were like, oh my god, ah, fuck, ah, Frankie, ah, fuck. What sound or noise do you love? (laughs) Around the same things, people going, (gasps) (gasps) like a gasp, an audible gasp is really, really exciting to me. What sound or noise do you hate? When there's uh, something that doesn't... Fit like when there's a voice that's incongruent sounding like like robot voices or voices through filters. I I can't pay attention to them. I can't stand them. They my brain doesn't comprehend them. What game system would you like to attempt? I wanted to run a Super Sentai or Power Rangers game, and I couldn't find a game system I liked. So I'm trying to work on one right now, and I might have a playtest this weekend on a Powered by the Apocalypse Super Sentai game. And I'm very excited to see how that works, because it's going to be my first time working on a hack. What game system would you not like to attempt? Something super crunchy, with a lot of uh, numbers and a lot of rules, because I think I would probably have a good time if I was a player with it. But as a DM, I'm always more focused on the story. And if I'm trying to make sure I'm doing all the correct rules and I have all the numbers written down and I don't mess up, I'm not going to be able to tell the story I want to tell. When your game concludes, what would you like to hear from your players? Thank you. That was a good game. Or that was so good. Or anything that says, hey, I was here, I had fun, I'll be here next week. Thanks for joining us inside the Master Studio, Frankie. Thank you for having me, this was really fun. Make sure to follow Frankie on Twitter at FrankieExtra, that's F-R-A-N-K-I-E-X-T-R-A. They have some projects being worked on, including an upcoming Masks podcast, And they'll provide updates on their Sentai Power Rangers Powered by the Apocalypse game. While you're following people on Twitter, feel free to follow this show at ITMS underscore podcast. 
or head to audioentropy.com, the home to this show and many others, like Totally Reprise, a Totally Spies rewatch. I'd also highly recommend heading to SoundCloud to check out All My Fantasy Children. Listen in as Jeff and Aaron weave their dark magic to create characters and worlds that you can use in your own sessions. As a GM that tends to enjoy the creation aspect more than the playing aspect, I consider this a must-listen podcast. I've been your host, Moon Rules, and remember, rules are blueprints meant to facilitate your game, not restrict it. (laughs) 